Wrestling Lighthouse family. And congratulations to all you awesome fathers out there. We welcome you and we celebrate you today. We celebrate our Father God's great gift that he gave us in Jesus. The freedom that through his son and his sacrifice we are able to walk in today. Let's celebrate our freedom. Intro.
are so thankful that we have a father who loved us more than any earthly father could. We are so grateful for the earthly fathers that some of us have had. We are, we are grateful that we have the earthly fathers. For those of us that have, have fathers that sometimes weren't present, we are grateful that we have a, a heavenly father who loves us more than any others ever could. For those this day that look back on this day and, and are grateful for just the families we were born into, we are thanking you and giving you glory and honor. For those this day who sometimes wonder what happened, we are still grateful for you, oh God. And for those that don't know you as their Heavenly Father, May we share this day that there is none other, none other like you, our Heavenly Father. For none other could make such a sacrifice for one such as I. <laughs> I do not deserve who you are, O oh God. None came uglier than me, Father, and for that I am so grateful as I humbly stand before you to say thank you for being my Father. So God, this day, we give you glory. We give you honor. We ask this morning that as Russell shares your word with us, that you would speak through him. We ask this day that if there's any here who are hurting, who are searching, if they are in this building, may they not leave this place without finding your son Jesus as Lord and Savior. If they are watching on stream, may they not stop without finding your son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And whoever they are, may they let us know as they have found him as Lord and Savior. If there are any out there that we don't know who are just friends this day, may they not end this day without becoming family with you as our Heavenly Father. We praise you. May your Holy Spirit break out and fall down and come down on our church, on our homes, on our community, on our nation. May your Spirit fall down upon our government on whichever side we stand. May your Spirit fall down upon us all we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, hello, church. How are you doing this morning? Good? I am not speaking. That's why the pulpit is not rolled up here, but Russell at some point may actually go grab the pulpit 
It's uh, Father's Day, and you know what that means. The associate pastor, in case we see you have some new people. I'm the associate pastor, Jeff Lee, in case you don't know. But our senior pastor is with his clan abroad, traveling, doing vacation, whatever it is that they're doing. And they are doing it as a, a large contingency, I, I feel, for the airplane and all those people that needs to have that. Because it's a triple family on the airplane and I'm sure the parents are probably going to sit on one side and then maybe just put their kids somewhere in the back. But uh, keep Pastor Eric and his family in prayer as they travel for the next few weeks. And because of that, what we get the privilege of this time every year is hanging out with some new people in the church. Now, you guys, this, this gentleman, Russell Toller, and his wife, Alini, the world-famous decorator of our church, have been here six years. So if any of you are looking right now going, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff, I don't know who that is. Six years he's been here teaching Loving on you guys. His wife decorates with Robin every year when the church is beautiful at Christmas. That's his wife, Alini, down here doing it every year. You've seen their kids, Jack and Summer, trolling around the building. Um, Summer is the only little girl in the church that's eating dried seaweed. So if you guys want to know how to get your kids to eat good, healthy snacks, you need to talk to Alini because she actually loves that and prefers that over any sugary substance. So congratulations, Father, on that. And on top of that, we need to let the guys know um, men's breakfast this Saturday. So not only is it Father's Day today, but we can book in that with uh, hanging out with Rich and the guys this Saturday at 7 o'clock. Um, there's usually a battle over bagels or burritos, but Rich is working on solving that mystery too. So just show up and there'll be some sort of food and you can be blessed. And because of that, the Women's Connection is also taking a survey on the back. And maybe they want to know whether it's bagels or burritos as well. I don't know. Uh, but ladies, if you're in the building today, there's a survey back there. The Women's Connection is just starting to fire up again, and they'd love for you to check in with them and get that information to that. So with no further ado, I bring to you our children's ministry teacher of your third through fifth graders. So what you're hearing today, adults, this is what's being taught to your young children, our third through fifth grader, teacher of the year, Mr. Russell Toller. It's on together. Oh, hey, hello, everybody. Yeah, they gave me the loner version today. That one didn't work. Not worthy yet. Um, okay, I think I'm all set up here. I feel very pretentious rolling out this. This uh, I got snacks for later in case I get hungry. Um, okay, I was thinking I would need duct tape for that thing. It wasn't staying on anyway. Distracting me. So we're not really doing a, a Father's Day message today. It's not actually on the Christian calendar. Not all of us are fathers, but we're in John. We're in the book of John. So the way John's written, if you could point anywhere, you're going to end up in a Father's Day message sort of, right? Um, as we know, John is not the synoptic gospel. If you ever read all the way through Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
Those are all kind of the same. It's like reading the same thing over and over and over. And then you get to John, and it's like, whoa, I'll have what he's having. That's a totally different approach, totally different timeline, totally different um, message. Um, the beginning of John, I think as we go through the book of John, it's good reading these first five verses because all of human writing, this is it right here. It's like move over Plato, move over Tolstoy, move over Shakespeare. John 1, 1 through 5. I'm just going to get us back into this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and in that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so we're in John, and like I said, John chapter 8, we've been going through for a few months. We took a break, uh, about three weeks, as we got to that part. As you see in your Bibles, all of a sudden the text is italicized, and there might be a little note saying this story here may not be original, may not be supposed to be here, but we're continuing the story we left off on um, over a month ago. So let's see, we're going back to where we as Christians spend a lot of time at least in our imaginations. I've never been there, but Israel is where we as Christians spend a lot of time because our whole book uh, takes place there, dusty first century Israel. It's kind of a weird time and place to always be thinking about um, and imagining and studying. There's a lot of interesting times throughout human history to be um, emerging ourselves in. But as Christians, we believe that our God came into the world, broke into time and space in first century Israel. The more we learn about it, about that world, uh, the better. The more the New Testament's going to make sense. So, uh, let's see. My challenge today is to take this story. We're going to just read a little piece of this story that we're, we're going through. Um, and we're doing two things, right? We're going to, we're, uh, I don't know how long we're going to take to go through John. There's 21 chapters. It's going to take us like a year, maybe two years or something. Um, so we got to kind of continue the story, uh, but also hopefully I'll bring some things uh, that we can apply to our lives and uh, think about throughout the week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little awkward thing where I've got to use two hands here. To okay. So four things I'm going to do this morning. Ease us back into the story a bit. Like I said, we've taken a month off. Get back into this. Um, I'm going to read the passage, unless everybody did their homework and read John 8 before, before coming, maybe early in the week. Anybody? Nobody? Okay, we're going to have to read the whole thing. Um, I'm going to summarize the story. After you get out of that story, it's like, whoa, what just happened? What's, what's going on? A little summary, and then I'm going to leave us with two points to remember uh, this week. Hopefully those will ring in our heads a little bit as we go throughout our week. So, review of John chapter 7. The last few weeks, we were in John chapter 7. Jesus, again, is up to Jerusalem. As Pastor Jeff says, even though he goes south, he's going up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. So, um, we're familiar with the Jesus story. Jesus is always hanging around Galilee, Capernaum, right? Those are familiar cities. Those are about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. It's kind of like coming down from Lancaster, right? Um, imagine having to walk that. So it's a pretty big commitment, but uh, a lot of Jews of those days, they would go 
up to Jerusalem, hundreds of miles walking along with a bunch of donkeys for these long uh, festivals. Do we have a picture? I found this. This is a young Jewish artist, uh, Alex Levin, a contemporary guy, and he paints all sorts of stuff, but he does these really cool oils of, of the second temple. This is, uh, this is the Jerusalem of Jesus' day. This is the temple that he would go to, also called Herod's temple. This is the one that was destroyed uh, about 40 years after Jesus walked the earth. But this is the context, and this, uh, I forget what this one's called, but um, this is it. This is going up to Jerusalem for the feast, Feast of Tabernacles, whatever they're going to. They're, they're making their way down. Um, okay, so Jesus is here. Jesus is in the temple in John chapter 7. He's there um, for the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's going to be there again in about six months for Passover, and that's the fateful Passover that he goes goes through, comes in riding on a donkey, right? So we're in the last, this is how John's written, the last half of John, you're already in the last week of his, of his life. So we're in, we're in um, chapter 8 right now, we're about a third of the way through, and we're, we're in the last year, we're towards uh, the end of his life already. So the scene we're in today begins in John 7, we're going to review a little bit. Jesus did not want to go to Jerusalem for this festival, because, quote, the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. So I'm going to start in John 7, verse 8. Today, I don't feel like you need to follow along. I'll read it. You could use your imaginations. You could close your eyes, whatever. Nobody's judging you. I'm not judging you from up here, at least. You go to the festival, Jesus said. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee, about 100 miles north, right? Lancaster. However, after his brothers had left for the festival... He went also, not publicly, but in secret. I grew up on Looney Tunes, and I'm picturing this funny. I'm picturing a two-person donkey suit, but I don't think that's historically accurate. But uh, maybe you took a different route. Maybe you went with a different caravan or something. Now, at the festival, Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him, but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Okay, so if this was a movie, you'd kind of be on the edge of your seat, right? This is like a, a, pretty, a pretty intense scene. Imagine if you're there. Do we have another picture? We have, we have a couple of these. Uh, there's the temple. They're in one of the festivals, and there's lots of people there. This is first century, dusty Jerusalem. There's a lot of people there, and it's a volatile city. Um, the Romans are there. There's friction. Not everybody gets along. There's throngs of people there. And imagine, there's this guy that you've been hearing about from far away. That he's, Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he going to lead something? Is there going to be a revolution? I hear there's miracles involved. I hear there's healings involved. You hear these rumors. What's his name? Is, is that one guy here? Jeremy Jackson? It's not like you could follow him on Instagram and know what he looks like or something. He doesn't have a TikTok account. You just, in the temple courts, maybe you see a crowd gathering and, and you hear, oh, there he is. There's that guy. He's here. He's actually here. Does everybody know he's here? Do the Pharisees know he's here? You know, it's a really tense situation. This is, this is kind of cool. And then 
so how did it go? Halfway through the festival, Jesus shows up. He starts talking. Um, John summarizes it. Verse 43. How the day went. Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why, don't, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? So that's it. That's chapter 7. So we end chapter 7, and um, we go into chapter 8. And chapter 8 is maybe a couple days later. And we're going to read the chapter, almost the whole chapter. Hang on. And uh, just remember the messiness. Think about the messiness of this chapter. It's an awkward and uncomfortable chapter. It's kind of interesting because we think of the Bible as this pure, it's messy. It's, it talks, it's a messy story. It's dusty. It's real life. It's tangible. And this is a, an uncomfortable situation. There's a lot of friction uh, in this chapter. At the same time, this is where we get all of our nuggets. You'll see there's like five or six of those good Jesus one-liners that we love. I uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the light of the world. All these Christian nuggets that we love, they're in the context of, the, of, of, of messiness. And that's how God is. It's kind of an example of, or an illustration of, of how our God gets his hands dirty. This is how he comes into our world and gives us uh, his truth. So as we read this, and it unfolds in your imagination. Remember, this is no gentle discussion. If you guys have ever read, like, Plato or something, it's just a bunch of old guys that go in each other's living rooms and, just, you know, discuss civilly these. This is, this is a man facing a mob, right? Um, it says that, in, in, in chapter 7, it said that the, the temple guards were supposed to arrest him, but they didn't because they were because of fear of the crowds. It just gives you an idea of how, how volatile the situation was. We're not touching him. We don't want to start something. Um, and some people are already picking up stones on the spot, as we'll see at the end of this chapter. Okay, you ready? Everybody, uh, and again, if you want to close your eyes, let your imagination run. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to get a little drink of water real quick. Okay. We're starting in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the palace of the offerings were put. Near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to him, 
I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where, where I go, you, will not, he, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not from this world. I told you that, that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you indeed will die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold my teachings, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did no such thing. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not 50 years old, they said, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born... I am. At this, they picked up the stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away 
from the temple grounds. Wow, I think we just broke a record for the church. Most scripture reading in one run. Good job, everybody. I think it's the same amount of people here. But yeah, that's, that's, that's how Jesus spoke. That was his context. A man facing a mob, speaking up to the leaders of this place. I mean, who's in charge of this place? You don't want to talk back to him, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's something. But that's why the temple guard said, no, one, no one's talked like this man before. So what do we have? If we were to summarize this, and if we were to summarize the gospel stories, one way you could say it is that Jesus is trying to do something and it's not working out. Maybe that's not the way we think of it, but that's, just take it as a story. He's trying to do something and it's not working out. He feels in his bones that he's been called to bring the people of Israel back. He's seen them astray. He sees the imminent threat of Rome, the occupied city by a foreign force. And he sees the connection there, that Israel is astray. And he feels in his bones a deep sense of vocation to call Israel back. And that's what he's doing. They're on the brink of catastrophe, and he's pleading with them. At the same time, he has another conviction. This is, this is the crazy one that John really wants to drive home. He also feels that the father, Israel's God, who he calls his father, is working in him, through him, in a unique and decisive way towards that end of calling Israel back. He even uses um, the secret and mysterious and holy title of God, I Am. Does everybody recognize where that's from? We kind of know the great I Am. Do we know what that's from? The burning bush. Moses said, who should I tell is sending me? Because, man, Moses was in the early days, right? They didn't know who, who this, this God was. Tell him, tell them I am, or I am who I am, or I am who I will be is sending me. And so that's a very special and sacred name of God. And Jesus feels the Father working through him to such an extent that he feels comfortable using that title. And obviously that's what sent them over the edge. So Jesus is trying to do something and it's not working out. There's a wrench in the machine, right? Someone threw a wrench in this plan of Jesus's in a way. This is an analogy, right? The cogs are starting to tighten around this wrench. You see in the beginning there's friction, right? Things, people aren't always hearing his message. There's mixed, mixed, mixed results from, from his preaching. But now we're really seeing the friction. And it gets uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable passage. So I have two points. Let's say there are two sides of this wrench in the machine, right? You could say two, two sides of the same coin, but coins don't get stuck in machines. Here we go. The people of God had forgotten who their God was. That's part of it, right? That's the one side of it. The whole city, if you look at this place, obviously... The whole city outwardly, they, they've got it figured out. They're serving their God. Their whole lives, their whole culture, people are traveling hundreds of miles to go to these festivals. This is a lot of work. Everything revolves around serving and worshiping this one true God. But their behavior, their attitudes, their ambitions reveal the fact that they don't know him, right? 
They don't recognize him. Their, real God, their true God, the Father, is in Christ looking at them, and they don't recognize him. Not only do they not love him, as Jesus said, they're trying to kill him, right? And the damning evidence of this is that they don't recognize God in Jesus because they don't know him. Verse 19, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Man, that's, that's black and white. Uh, verse 42, he says it again. If, you, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. Okay, so that's the story. That's the, that's the first century uh, dusty Israel story we're reading, but what about us today? Do we ever uh, cease to recognize God as he truly is? Do we ever get God wrong, I guess? That's something that we uh, could think about. Do we ever misunderstand or worse, mi misrepresent his character? Think about it, you know, the last several centuries. Has God's character ever been misrepresented? And that ha has that ever led to any uh, unfortunate circumstances? The answer is yes. Like, <laughs> where do you begin? Right? Uh, I was looking at Pew Research from 2019. We know that churches are losing people, especially in uh, like England and Europe. Those old cathedrals are even closing down. Um, we know that there's a trend away from, you know, the height of American Christianity. We're, we're, um, we're losing numbers. But this research I was looking at was also, you know, some people leave the church. They don't like organized religion. They meet in homes. They have this, there's the emergence movement. Maybe it's just kind of a shift in the way we do Christianity. But we're down 12 percentage points over the last decade of people who identify as Christians. And simultaneously, the people that identify as meh, nothing, uninterested, kind of agnostic, that's going up at the same time. And if you talk to a lot of these people, people that have drifted away, people that kind of grew up in the church and have drifted away or have never uh, come in the first place, you talk to them and you notice a trend. If you can find a moment of uh, civility, which is rare of talking about these things uh, with these people, you might think the same thing every time. It's like, man, I don't think I believe in that God you're describing either, right? It's a, it's a misunderstanding of who God is. And whether it's, whether it's a, a mundane, like a simple loss of faith in one person's life, or it's dramatic, you know, and leads, leads to violence, you know, doing things in God's name that leads to, to physical, actual uh, <laughs> evil in the world, it's always a big deal, and it's always tragic. So how are we supposed to know what God is like? It seems like, I mean, it's kind of understandable. His character does seem to shift as you read from Genesis to Revelation, I, you, you can kind of see how people can uh, kind of get frustrated with that. Um, I have an example. I uh, am related to somebody famous. I don't know if you guys know this about me. My mother's maiden name is Brown. So it's not James Brown. It's not Jackson Brown. It's John Brown. Everybody know who John Brown is? John Brown led the raid. What do they say that uh, sparked the Civil War, right? He led the raid on Harper's Ferry, and he was an uh, abolitionist. He was an aggressive abolitionist. And I was reading his biography a few years ago because I wanted, you know, he's the one famous person I'm related to. I want to see how cool I was. And it was an uncomfortable book to read because really um, it, was a, it was violence. It was a rampage. He, he murdered slave owners, and, and uh, it was bloody, and it was ugly. 
And throughout the book, you know, this is the 1800s, 1850s, and he was a a devout Christian. Of course he was a devout Christian. Um, But the book that stuck with me, there's my point, describes him as an old, more of an Old Testament Christian. (laughs) Right? He was more of an Old Testament Christian. There's news, no, you can't do that. (laughs) God is the way he is. (laughs) And that doesn't, uh, that doesn't change. So, what is God like? How do we know what God's like? And how do we all get ourselves on the same page? Whether we're in the 3rd century or in medieval times or the 21st century, how are we supposed to figure this out? Whether we're in, uh, you know, in Asia or Europe or South America or Africa, we're all worshiping the same God, right? How do we make sure we're all on the same page? Well, the answer is right in front of us. If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come from God. You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. John 14, we're going to be, <laughs> I don't know, in a couple of years, we'll get to John 14. <laughs> Philip, you've been with me this whole time, and you don't know. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's an incredible one, right? It's like there's nothing, there's nothing else that hasn't been revealed in my character. Uh, Colossians 1.15, the son is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews He's the exact representation of God. So I have a, a, a little uh, pithy passage that I like wrote down this little credo that I think is helpful. Super easy to memorize. You could write it down if you're really quick. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. Done, (laughs) right? Easy. Um, Easy to memorize. That's a good one. God is like Jesus. That's the point. Okay, I told you there's two sides of this wrench that's thrown in Jesus' machine. He's trying to do something, and it's not working out. There's a wrench in the machine. Half of the wrench, Israel can't even recognize their God anymore. Right in front of them. They don't love him. They want to kill him. Second side of this wrench, they'd forgotten their vocation. That's a theme that runs throughout this chapter and throughout the book of John. Israel was supposed to be, what's the title of our uh, our thing today? The light of the world. That's how it opens. Israel was supposed to be the light of the world. Um, I don't know if we go through Old Testament books in this church. I grew up in a church where we went book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it it sounds right until you end up in your like third month of Leviticus. And you're like, oh man, I'm going to go to Lighthouse where they stick in John over Um, but Israel the kingdom of Israel the whole Israel project that was inaugurated and launched by God the whole point of it all was to be a light of the world so the seed of this project the foundation everybody knows it's the promise to Father I want them to sing this song this morning Father Abraham right? maybe after Um, Whoever wrote John 1 through, uh, not John, Genesis, whoever the author of Genesis was, um, well, let's see, Genesis 11 is when Abraham is is introduced at the end of uh, Genesis 11. Genesis 12 is where that seed is planted, that whole project of Israel is launched. And whoever wrote about Abraham and about that promise and all of that had just written, had just told us about, about Genesis 1 through 11, and we know what happens there. 
It's catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe. It's, it's expulsion from the garden. It's Cain and Abel. It's the flood. It's Babel. The author has made it very clear that God's project is catastrophically off course, right? Um, and within that mess, within the darkness of that world, within the, the disaster that God's good creation has become, God whispers in Abraham's ear, the promise. What's the promise? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you or through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And bless is one of those words that always threw me off. It's kind of a cliche, right? Nobody knows exactly what it means, but it's, it's like in our Christianese language. It's like one of the main uh, words you start using when you become a Christian. But the, the, obviously, there's more to it than this. But a very helpful way that I have, I have been understanding it is you always see it juxtaposed with bless and curse, right? We kind of understand what curse, we're under a curse, right? Bless is an undoing of that curse. It's the opposite of the curse. It's a reversal of that curse. So when God says, in the midst of this curse-ridden world, I will bless you, right? I'm going to start here and start undoing the curse, Right? Shine some light in the darkness and it's going to spread from you so that, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, in your seed, in your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Israel's a rescue project, right? They're the boat, they're the lifeboat, but they're taking on water. They're the light, but they're providing only darkness as Jesus is seen. You get to the prophets, and the prophets, what do they do? They're always trying to get Israel back on track, reminding Israel of who their God is, and reminding them of what their vocation is. It's these two sides that we're talking about. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over all the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's Isaiah 60. You get to Jesus. You get to the early Jesus, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. And what do you see? Well, Israel has dimmed once again to the point of just some burning embers. They're on the brink of catastrophe. Like we said, they're occupied. Things are dark. Things are not looking good. Jesus sees this connection between Rome, the unfaithfulness of Israel, and what's he say? says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's bringing them back. He's assuming the role of the prophet, right? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We think it's written for us, but a city on a hill, what, what city could we be talking about? Where's that other one where it shows it on the hill? Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. He's bringing Israel. Be Israel. You're supposed to be the light here, right? That's what Jesus is saying to them. And then we get to our current passage. And he knows that Israel has been infected with the same disease that the rest of the world is infected with. They're supposed to be the remedy to this curse, to this sickness. But they're also infected. They're also under the curse. And verse 31 is such an interesting verse in chapter 8. So it's volatile, right? It's bickering. It's, uh, it's important people and this guy talking back and forth. They're putting both on trial. 
to the Jews who believed him. So there's a, there's, maybe some people are being rude in the crowd. Maybe some people are being too uh, aggressive. Jesus knows there's some people that, that believed him. If you hold to my teaching, so he pulls them aside almost, right? That's how it reads. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Isn't that interesting? He like kind of pulls them aside. There's, you're saying there's a chance, right? <laughs> but they're, well, immediately, those people that believed him, Jesus sees right through them. They start arguing about technicalities, right? Is he really from Galilee? I don't think the Messiah is supposed to be from Galilee. They're thinking about their lineage. No, we're Abraham's children, right? But what did John the Baptist say? Abraham's children. God could make Abraham's children out of those rocks over there if he wanted to. There's, it doesn't matter about, about blood. And they're bent on murder. And he sees through all this, and he says, you're from this world, all right. You guys are infected, all right. You're under this curse. I know who your father is, and it's not Abraham. And it's not Israel's true God. It's not my father. And maybe it's right here. This is an interesting passage to read. Maybe it's right here where Jesus sees how this is all going to play out what the implications of all this is going to be. And he speaks prophetically. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. And in the message version, I don't want to make uh, Jeff squirm right out of his seat. I wanted to read that other passage. But uh, the message version, Eugene Peterson translated the message version. And he is a gift to the church. So whatever you think about that version, maybe not, don't replace the Bible. But there's some cool lines in there. And this is one of them. Abraham, this is the same verse, verse 56. Abraham, your father, with elated faith, looked down the corridors of history and saw my day coming. He saw it and cheered. I like that. He looked down the corridors of history. Okay, so what the stubbornness of Israel means for Jesus and how this is all going to play out. I'm not going to do that today. They told me to finish up before noon. (laughs) That's for another time. But on the other side of this rich, fascinating, wonderful Jesus story. On the other side of it, skip ahead. We are the renewed people of God. And our mission isn't all that different from the mission that has always been of the people of God. God is working in the world. It started with Abraham. And it's unfolding and unfolding and unfolding, right? The leaven, the light, the mustard seed. It's spreading. Paul says, this is so clean. You were once darkness, but you are now light. Live as children of light. So, it's not flex and try and earn your lighthood or anything, right? You are light. Therefore, live as children of light, right? You're already light. Just live up to your role. It's not about a moral code. It's not about earning anything. You are light. You are the people of God. You're the renewed people of God. Time to live it. I'm going to ask my my dear friend, N.T. Wright, uh, to help with this one. uh, He's got some good wisdom on this, about what our role is as the renewed people of God, what our task is. Our task is image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world. I love that line, shaping our world. Is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to 
to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. Okay, we see those words announce, proclaim. So what does that actually mean? Well, it doesn't mean, let's not take the flat, literal version of announce, proclaim, and leave it at that. It's in everything that we do, and it's how we do all that stuff, whether it's being a father, for example, whether it's being a parent, whether it's teaching, whether it's, oh, goodness, where do we start? Art, music, politics, business, studying, research, design, serving tables. It's, it's in that. It's doing that stuff, and it's how we do it. Wisdom, love, patience, right? Joy. It should be calling us forward to new things, thinking about how we should be the light, and it should also permeate everything we already do and affect the way we do everything. In all we do, we're erecting signposts. This is an interesting way to think about it. We're, we're erecting signposts in everything we do and how we do it that point to God's future when everything is restored and redeemed. And within this general task of the renewed people of God, what it means from person to person to person, we're all wired differently, right? We all have different vocations. We have different roles. So it's something to think about. <laughs> it's, I'm not going to get into what exactly it means to be the light because it differs from everybody. And it's just a starting point. That's what we should always be talking about and thinking about in our life groups and in our families at the dinner table. What does it mean to be the light of the world? In my life as a person, in our life as Lighthouse in Eastside Costa Mesa as the American church, as the global church, right? What does that mean? Well, shoot, that's something to think about, to talk about, and to pray about. Let's have the worship team wander on up here. And I'm going to leave us with one, uh, what is it called? One weird trick. A lot of us have, when I was in high school, I especially thought about this a lot. What's the point of being a Christian? Not like, not like, why should I be a Christian? But now that I'm a Christian, what am I supposed to be doing with myself? Like, what am I, you know, I got so many decades on this earth. Am I supposed to just, uh, I don't know, be a nice guy or come to worship God on Sundays? Is there, is there, if you feel that burn, we need to live up to our vocation. We need to be living a light. We need to be making an impact in the world. But it's hard. It's, uh, it's overwhelming. It's easy to be paralyzed. So I got one weird trick to clear that up. And it's, I guess, kind of predictable. It's pray. And it's, it's, it's real. It's, the answer is right in front of us, but it's easy to forget. God, help me today be a light. Give me opportunities today. Just give me one chance to be a light in this world. And it's cool. You do it day by day, and you'll catch it. You'll, it's like catching God in the act. God, give me an opportunity today to be a light in this world. And man, you'll see. You pray that in the morning before you even get out of bed, before you grab your phone. Just, God, today, i got to be a light. Help me. Give me a chance. Okay, let's pray. Transforming God, whose light always penetrates the darkness and whose love always overcomes hate, we ask that you sustain us as we struggle to make your light visible in an angry 
Nurture us daily as we work for your justice in unjust places and your peace in places where no peace is to be found. Give us courage and strength when we are fearful and weak. Give us hope and forgiveness when we feel hopeless and angry. And guide us every step of the way as we walk towards the light. God, thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for all the fathers here. Bless them, give them wisdom, help them to be lights in their household, in their communities. Be close to all of us today and this week. Help us to remember who you are and who we should be as we go forward in your name.
I could carry one of those notes like you, Shelly. I, I bet you can. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Sometimes it's terrible to have to make an announcement after worship like that. I just want to be like, yeah, that's it. Go. High five, everybody. Russell, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being brave. I love it. Um, it was about three years ago today, another dad stood up here and said, you know what? I think God's calling me to speak. I don't know if you guys remember Greg Barone. Our brother, Greg Brown is not only killing it in Houston, I just got a phone call from the church that just ordained our brother last week to continue on in ministry. So sometimes you're going to show up here and you're going to get Pastor Eric, sometimes you're going to get me, sometimes you're going to get Russell, you, you, Greg. I mean, we got a lot of people in this building that God is really blessing. Thank you, church, for being just showing up and being faithful. Next week, we're going to do chapter nine, not all of it. Because Russell did all the, I think we're covered, Josh. I think we're covered for the next three-week verses. So we're going to do chapter 9 in the sixth miracle of God. So just invite a friend. Be excited about it. There's a lot to be excited about. Things are changing. Things are turning. And I, it feels like God's kind of pushing through. So have faith. Be encouraged. Be blessed. There is a reason for this season. It's not just at Christmas. It's every day, right? We serve a faithful God who's alive and well. And he is the light. So thank you, brother, for bringing that great message. Thank you, church. We'll see you next week. If you have any questions, if you want to stay and pray, there's elders available. I'm available. As always, we love you. Thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. We'll see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. God bless. I'm no longer.